Hi, I'm Mark Haywood and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. We know the power of music and the power of music can transform lives and we want to give everyone an opportunity to access music so we want to break down all the barriers. Do you remember your school music lessons? For many, the tight constraints of the music curriculum are suffocating and children with music running through their veins are left wondering whether the art form is actually for them. For children from poorer households, it simply isn't possible to buy a flute or an oboe or even attend a music lesson. And these issues can be particularly prevalent for people of colour. While critics of music education say it detracts from academic studies... Much more widely, it's accepted that music in schools is a necessity, not a luxury. So it's essential we address these problems. Let's find out how Gloucester-based charity The Music Works is helping to bridge the gap. Malachi Patterson is the charity's artistic director, and I'm delighted to say that he's my guest today. Chapter 1. At your most creative... Love music? Start making it. That's the strapline of the music works, and it really embodies everything the charity stands for. They work with young people from all backgrounds, many of whom come from challenging circumstances. And the message is, music is for people like you. It is for everyone. Because of his own personal experiences, Malachi really resonates with these young people. These days, he's a musician, music producer, manager and mentor, and he even set up his own record label, an artist management company. But what were the music opportunities for young Malachi growing up in Gloucestershire? I'll be honest, there was a massive lack of opportunities. I didn't know where to go to create music. My parents were very musical. And when you have nothing, this is what this is what I love about the kind of creative expression through music is when you have nothing, you're your most cre- you're your at your most creative, I believe anyway, and you find ways to create in an innovative way. And I think that's what really pushed me when I was starting out creating music. I can remember I was recording kind of like um, radio shows and making my own mixtapes and just kind of recording instrumentals and recording acapellas and making loads of different tapes. And that's when I started learning to be musical. And also I kind of grew up in um, in my early teens, which was the early 90s. That's kind of DIY culture of making music just started to kind of develop. So I find myself just kind of like doing rec- my own recordings on tapes and those things. And then also grime just started to come out where you could actually start getting kind of affordable music equipment and making your own music. So actually, I was at the height of that era when you could actually start buying equipment and creating your own music. Very basic. I can remember a software I used to use was Music 2000. It was just like, I begged my nan if I could buy a computer out of her catalogue. And I got myself a little part-time job, which made me pay for it. But it was my first computer. I didn't know what I was doing. And I just found this software, Music 2000. And I just started creating. And it wasn't that software at the time, it wasn't really kind of like for even making those sort of beats that I was creating, but I was just, I was just experimenting. So when you talk about the opportunities in Gloucestershire, I honestly didn't look at the lack of opportunities. I looked at what I could use and could have and just try to make something of it. Of it. I think that's fascinating because the writing projects that I like the most 
are those that are so tightly constrained by budget that you have to get so incredibly innovative and creative in order to tell a story because when you've got lots of money it's easy right because you can have stunts and special effects and you can have equipment and all of that but when you haven't and you've just got actors and a script it really does force you to think doesn't it it's the same with music i guess yeah and and that's what i love and then another thing apart that is as well as like building your community so even though i had lack of resources actually just inviting friends around I can remember actually the first time where I started creating music with my friends, we were just putting on instrumentals, going around each other's house and just writing lyrics and just rapping and, and just having fun. And actually that started a, a scene in some sense because everyone know, okay, we'll go around this person's house every week on just say a Sunday or something like that. And we're going to write lyrics, we're going to rap. And, you know, that started generating a kind of community and a buzz around what we were doing as well. And was that filling a gap that wasn't being filled by the education system for example did you have opportunities to study music at school or presumably i i remember that it was classical and that was it that was about your lot maybe you did the odd musical but there wasn't much other than that yeah it's quite interesting you say that because i talk to young people now and a lot of them have the same experience i had in school growing up so i've always seen a massive i i had no connection between music in school and music outside of school did not see a connection at all Music education for me was something where I was going to learn classical music, something I was not interested in, and that was it. It didn't extend into my creativity or anything like that. So music outside of school for me was just something that I did, and I never spoke to my music teacher about the music I did in my own personal life because I just didn't see the connection. There's a massive disparity. And also, you know, the genres that I grew up on, and this is mainly because my parents like reggae, hip-hop, they wasn't considered real music. And I, I do that kind of like in commas and sort of thing in terms of like, you know, when I go to school and I say the music I listen to, yeah, it wasn't considered kind of like a real genre or genre to be taken seriously. So for me, I didn't feel that they would value that. So it was something that I wanted to keep in my personal and private life anyway. This comes up time and time again, Malachi, on this show, this notion of the real value of art is whether it finds an audience and not how much that audience pays to consume the product. And so for something like Grime, which probably couldn't be further from classical music when you think about it, has its own community that is using this music to fill a, fill a gap that they're not getting from elsewhere, has clearly got a fan base, has clearly got people interested in music, must actually and demands to be regarded as an art form in exactly the same way as classical music but it it wasn't was it initially there was a a bit of a stigma around it because it was seen as something kind of underground or potentially dangerous yeah and that's the frustrating thing you look at you look at the similarities in certain genres so you take rap and then you take spoken word because spoken word is palatable to the western audience it's fine but, you know, rap is always aggressive or, you know, or seen as this kind of like, yeah, thing where it's not a mainstream thing that, you know, consumers will listen to. So, yeah, it's frustrating knowing that when you see this, some of the similarities, but it's not accepted by mainstream society, I suppose. It's certainly fascinating to see the reaction for people like Jay-Z when they pointed out the similarities between certain types of music, perhaps most famously it's a hard knock life from Annie, which he turned into a, a rap version just to prove 
the point more than anything else. He went, this is a song from the streets. This is a rap song. This is a street song. And, you know, here it is. And you listen to it and you go, that's absolute genius, you know, to to make that distinction. So I, I think that that certainly helps to break down the stigma. But I'm fascinated by these communities that spring up because to me that says there's a need for this. There's something that we're not getting from elsewhere. Therefore, we're going to create our own art form. And that art form could be graffiti or street art. It could be dance. It could be music. It could be food. It could be anything, really. But there's clearly something there so that was really when you started to cut your teeth around around that time and I guess I suppose the availability of relatively inexpensive tech you know I remember getting my first dual tape deck where you could do tape to tape that was like the end of the rainbow right did you did you have one of those did you do all of that yeah (laughs) and that's why I say like you could start creating your own mixtapes and I think for me that was I was so inspiring because it gave you the opportunity to be so creative. And some of these tools sometimes, I think you really push the boundaries of how you can use them. And that's going back to what you said around having a very small budget and trying to create something. You're more, it's like, I can remember never having a microphone and using my headphones to wrap inside the headphone to record. And then I listen it back to, on the same headphones after just changing the plug sockets. And it's, it's creativity like that, that it just really pushes the boundaries of actually how you're using the resources that you have. Chapter two, forced into a box. When we see our favourite artists on stage, they're like gods. What they have can feel so unattainable. But finding your place in the music industry is much more than standing on stage and singing. Finding those additional opportunities, though, is hard. They're not obvious. And when you aren't taught or told about a certain career path, they essentially don't exist to you. That's why representation is so important, both in music and across all of life. But before we find out about the world of opportunities out there for young musicians, let's dig deeper into the specific barriers facing the young people that Malachi works with when it comes to the wider education system, particularly for children of colour. I'll be honest, it's complex and I don't think there is a simple solution, but it's understanding the cultural differences that especially like young black children face, you know, many a time when you go to school where you're the minority, the odds are already stacked against you. And I just think sometimes it's it's easy to label a child to have behavioural issues when you don't understand their challenges or needs. And I think that's one of the biggest problems. I think sometimes if you look at a young person's environment, especially with some of the young people we work with, some of the issues they're facing in their life, they're carrying that to school with them. And, you know, if they act a certain way in a lesson, straight away, if they're different or if they're minority, they're already going to stand out in that classroom. So if they're carrying an issue that they don't know how to cope with or they're struggling with, straight away they're labelled. And that's what happened to me in school. I was labelled from year seven, right from my first school year, and I couldn't shake that right throughout the school. And every teacher just saw me as being problematic or distracting or, and no matter how much I tried to achieve, I was always labeled as that person. And I failed in school. I couldn't, you know, engage with any teachers because of that. And there was no one that had value in me. No one showed, you know, no one showed support in me that I actually, I could achieve or to help me raise my aspirations or help me motivate myself. And, And I think I see that in a lot of young people right across the board that we see and we work with. And I do think definitely something needs to change. And I think organisations like ours, actually, that are empowering young people 
and finding their interests. And I think, you know, with the curriculum, we're trying to fit every young person into a box of one way of learning. And sometimes it just doesn't fit. If I think purely about, you talked about the curriculum and, and let's just hang here for a second. If I think about the books that I had to read at school, I probably couldn't put my finger on any that would portray a world that young Malachi would recognize, for example. You know, you would look through a window and you probably wouldn't recognize yourself. And to force a bunch of kids down that route seems odd. To force every kid in the entire country down that route is kind of saying every kid is the same. So here's a curriculum for every child because it's a curriculum that appeals to everybody. And actually that's that's not true. So that's pretty much we're pricing failure in from the start if that's what we do. Does the data bear this out? Do you see higher instances, for example, of expulsions and suspensions from young kids of colour versus their white counterparts? A hundred percent. You know, we do a lot of work with young offenders and we see a high proportion of young black males, especially, you know, only where we make up 14% of the country's population. And when I looked into it, you know, it all starts with education. You know, I see young black males getting expelled and then they move into APSs and actually alternative provision schools. Once they go into there, it's a bit of a downward spiral. Some of them are targeted, some of them are groomed, and that life of criminality it is appealing for them because actually, you know, they do find a set of people who they feel they're good at something or they find a set of people who find value in them. Even though it's a negative lifestyle, they're looking for that empowerment, that trust, and they get it from the street. They get it from that criminal lifestyle. And then from there, as I said, it's a downward um, spiral as they move into the criminal justice system. And once they're in there, it's very hard for them to get back out. A lot of the young people that we work with have never been told they're good at something. You know, in school, they've never been the kid that actually has achieved something in a classroom, you know, or where the rest of their counterparts have. They've never been told they're good at something. Actually, if they're turning to people out on the street and they're saying, you're really good at this, even though it's a negative not lifestyle, it's going to be more appealing for them. They're going to feel like, you know, I'm part of something. So in terms of feeling a part of something, let's talk about the music works. What was the music work set up to, to try and achieve? What, what problem were you trying to solve, Malachi? We know the power of music and the power of music can transform lives. And we want to give everyone an opportunity to access music. So we want to break down all the barriers that young people face to have an opportunity in making music or being involved in music or being an audience member in music. So a lot of our programs are completely inclusive. We make sure that we reach young people who maybe have disabilities, young people that could have mental health issues. And actually through music, we know that we can improve the well-being in young people as well. Um, so just coming to sessions and them having autonomy over what music they're making. Actually, you know, we work with some young people and they say they love making draw music. We make draw music with them. That helps us build a rapport with them. They feel like they are part of a community. It goes back to that as well. They feel that they're they're useful. That they, they have um they feel like they have competence. They feel they can achieve it something when they're making music. They write lyrics. They recorded a song. They have that empowerment from getting involved in music, and I think that's what's really important to our organisation. How we're reaching young people and giving them an opportunity to access something where maybe there were barriers before that they found. And might this be the first time that they've had that autonomy from a musical perspective to actually 
play whatever music they like because of what we discussed earlier about how, you know, the education system forces them down a particular route. This might actually be the first time in their young lives that they've had an opportunity like this. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, if I think about my music education experience, it was either composition or performance, and I was told what I had to play or what composition I had to make. Um, and it was very confined into this box. And actually, I couldn't relate to it because I had no connection to it. So, you know, we're supporting young people by saying, what do you want to do? All our work is youth-led. We say, yeah, what genre are you interested in? What artist do you like? Here's an opportunity for you to access resources to be able to create that musical, recreate that musical, create something that inspires you or interests you have. Do you also talk to the people who go through the programme about things outside of performance? Because we might leap to the conclusion that the music industry is about being an artist and, and about the performing side of it. But it's a huge industry like film and television. And that must expose them then to sound and, and engineering and, and equipment and you know even things like transportation and logistics and all on all of those things is it a fully it's sort of immersive end-to-end -end exposure to the industry because we might otherwise think it's just me in front of a microphone whereas there's a whole raft of people aren't there surrounding them yeah and we run a creative development program which is purpose is to actually explore the whole creative industries for a young person so when they come to us and they say they're interested in music, it's not all about just like them jumping on a microphone or then jumping in front of a computer and producing or picking up an instrument. Actually, it's helping them explore the whole creative industries, you know, what skills they have. Maybe they might be interested in music management. They might be interested in a and and they might be interested in tour management. So we take them right through the creative industries and expose them to how many opportunities there are and different job roles within the industries. I often find that when you're an outsider looking or peering over the wall at an industry, it can seem vast. It can seem like, you know, have to move to London in order to be a part of it. But actually, when you get inside, you realize how suffocatingly small it actually is. And it is a very, very different experience when you're on the same, when you're on the inside. Do you see the young people that you work with realize that as they go through the program, that actually the music industry is something that you can navigate. You just have to understand it a little bit more, but perhaps more importantly, you don't have to leave Gloucester to be a part of it. Yeah. What's exciting for me is when I see young people get that realization of it's attainable. So, you know, I go back to this word community and for me, community is so important. So when we work with a lot of young people, we get them to do a lot of collaboration work. So you might have someone who's a singer, someone who's a rapper, someone who's a musician, a producer, and they start working together. And by themselves, they start working out their role with how they can work with different young musicians or young creatives. And they find their own roles, whether that's they actually like to be in a bit of a leadership role. And actually, that could be kind of like a bit of management skills where they're finding they might end up go to get bookings for that musician or that artist or another one might want to create the artwork and another one and when we sit down and we look at the industry and I'm saying well you're not doing anything far too dissimilar to a music role like um, a music manager would do where they're getting they're trying to get their artists uh, maybe a booking or shaping their career in when they start realization that oh my gosh I'm, I'm doing this already it really starts to raise those aspirations for them like say actually, yeah, I do think actually getting to the music industry is possible. It's not too far-fetched. 
And because we're building that economy in Gloucestershire now, where actually we are creating the next generation of music executives, music professionals, where they are active in putting on their own shows as young promoters. They are actually going to get their own bookings. They are making their own recordings. You know, we have quite a lot of sign engineers now where they are working in the studios and they actually can take those skills in work in a studio in London or Birmingham or something like that. They are starting to really believe in themselves and think, actually, if I wanted to, I could move to London, but I also could stay in Gloucestershire because I have the skills. All I need to do is commute. Chapter three, the Claw Fellowship. Many of the artists who have benefited from the Music Works programmes end up performing on stage for BBC Introducing, a testament to the charity's success. And for his groundbreaking leadership skills, helping young people break down barriers and navigate the music industry, Malachi has been awarded a Claw Fellowship, which recognises and nurtures leadership skills across the cultural sector. He's one of just 25 fellows from the UK and Ireland who've been given a place on this autumn's programme. This is all a fairly unique experience for Malachi to be taken out of Gloucestershire and placed in a completely new environment. So how has he been coping? Yeah, I'll be honest, it's quite frightening for me because I've always worked in Gloucestershire and I've very been passionate about my local area and the changes I want to make on a local level. But the more I realise, actually, some of the things that I'm trying to make impact on are a national problem. And actually, so some of the successes that I have made in my local area can be replicated to a national level. So I think I've kind of been taking it in my stride to be like, okay, now I have to step up. Because I know, actually, there's other young people behind me who I need to kind of empower, maybe, so they can see some representation in a senior role as well. So for me, I have to move on and open more pathways and open the gate, the floodgate sort of thing for other young people as well within the local area. So, yeah, I think I am more open to taking that next step and helping me build confidence in uncomfortable spaces as well. I must admit, in the past, I have struggled with having kind of a bit of imposter syndrome, thinking, should I be here in these senior leadership meetings where I don't see myself? You know, Gloucestershire has quite a low demographic of kind of like any kind of black and Asian uh, minority ethnicities. So you don't see much black professionals at a senior level. So for me, when I was going into these meetings, sometimes I was thinking to myself, should I even be here? And that alone has been really difficult for me to kind of overcome over the previous years as well. If I think about a country like South Africa, which many years ago introduced this notion of black economic empowerment, and pretty much every job that came up would specify that it was a black economic empowerment job and you had to be black to apply for it and there had to be an exemption if you, if you weren't. When you create that, that notion of we are going to positively choose to only give these opportunities to certain ethnicities that came out a long time ago i wonder how young people react to that today the young people that you work with for example are they conscious that they might be getting an opportunity because of the color of their skin and if so how does that make them feel is that something that they embrace or is that something that actually doesn't sit comfortably with them yeah, I think that's a difficult, I think that's a real difficult one. And even I've struggled with that one because you want to be able to recruit the best person for the job, the one person that has skills, the experience, but also you do need to make sure that 
you have diversity, you know, and it's inclusive and it's equitable and you're supporting all people and giving opportunity for those who are maybe underrepresented. And I think some young people, it is difficult for them to know that maybe they've got an opportunity because of the colour of their skin, because then it doesn't make them feel valued because they think that, okay, I'm only here now to make up the numbers. And I've seen that, you know, I've been asked to be on boards before where I'm consciously thinking, is this because of the colour of my skin or is this because of my experience and skills? And again, that's when then your imposter syndrome comes in and you think, should I even be here? And then actually, if you are recruited in because of the colour of your skin, does that mean that anything around diversity you have to stand up for, you have to champion and talk for all the black community? I think that's a really difficult thing because me, myself, I can't represent the whole black community, you know, and all the different diasporas. It's not possible. I think about the business world. I know many people who've been put in this position and history is littered with organizations who will appoint a champion of inclusion and diversity and then spend the next five years completely ignoring everything they say, because I can see how that appointment benefits the organization, but not how that person can actually help other people in the organization because it's a shop window, right? You look through it and it looks inclusive. It looks diverse, but actually it's just a gesture. It's not doing anything tangible. Whereas the music works, you're putting thousands of young people through this program, giving them opportunities that they wouldn't normally get. And and if they choose to take those opportunities further, then great. But if not, at least they've had the opportunity and at least they've been exposed to something that they wouldn't ordinarily get exposed to. Because I guess a lot of this is there is a world out there that you have not seen let us at least show it to you so that then you know what you could be doing if that's what you wanted. If you choose not to, that's fine. But I think a lot of the problems in society are that young people simply don't know what their options might be. Yeah, 100%. And that's the thing. I think even when I was growing up, I didn't know. I would know I wanted to do music, but I didn't know what that looked like. And I am a firm believer of you only can be what you can see. So if you don't see it around you, you never can achieve to be it because you don't know it exists or not. Especially when you have young people, maybe deprived areas or low socioeconomic backgrounds, they might even not ever come out of their own community. They might not ever venture outside their own city or anything like that. So how are they meant to raise their aspirations to see what is even possible? So I think a lot of the time as well as actually is like to have the opportunity what we've had, Music Works, to bring the music industry to a local level and have young people coming in and meeting an A&R or meeting a music manager or meeting the CEO of Warner Chapel Music and actually thinking, well, you know, the CEO of Warner Chapel Music was from down the road, was from Cheltenham. So it starts to really make it attainable for these young people thinking, okay, I, I can get in the creative industries. It doesn't matter if I'm from Gloucester, from this area. Actually, there is a route, there is a progression route or a pathway that I can follow and achieve success through to the creative industries. I think in any industry, young people seeing older people who are like them doing things in a positive way can only lead to positive outcomes because you look at it and you say, I want that and I can see a path to it now because the person that I'm talking to looks like me or is from the same place as me. If we think about the fellowship and, and what it will give you in terms of skills and, and, and the future for the music works, what, what hopes and aspirations do you have for the charity moving forward, Malachi? We're still a county-wide charity. You know, our beneficiaries are young people within the county. But more and more now, we're having national impact. I think 
the model that we're creating and the blueprint we're creating, I do think it can be replicated. The conversations we're having with Warner Chapel Music, they're really intrigued about getting more music industry bodies involved to see how we can roll this out. And I think what we'll start to see is, especially all the local young people, will start to see more of the opportunities that we're creating where they can access wider creative industry opportunities, whether we make connections with other organisations across the UK and we can develop exchanges. I do think we're building a blueprint which can be rolled out nationally and support more young people across the country. Well, we wish you well, not just with the CLAW Fellowship as part of this cohort, but for the music works and everything that you're doing for young people in the county and hopefully one day at a national level. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Conclusion, a massive thank you then to Malachi Patterson for today's episode and to recap, what have we learned? Where there's a will, there's a way. You don't need the most high-tech equipment to begin making music. As Malachi says, when you have nothing... You're at your most creative. This goes for all creative mediums, including writing. Community is critical. You cannot create in a vacuum. Find people who will inspire you through the writing process and then build a community of fans who'll appreciate the fruits of your hard work. And finally, if you're struggling to find your way into the career you aspire towards, take a wider view of that industry. Research and learn about the many different paths you can take, which are often far more diverse than you might think. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. You can get in touch directly at info at behindthespine.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine and Instagram as at Behind the Spine Podcast. Check out the show notes for an additional information and a full transcript of this episode. Additionally, you can sign up to the email newsletter for updates about our new exclusive live and in-person residency at the Groucho Club in London. These events are not recorded and not repeated, and will put you, the audience, both behind the spine and in the room. If you'd like to go on the guest list, please drop us a line. Goodbye for now, stay safe, and keep writing. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. 